welcome to Simply Stogie's podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, James. Joining me this week is he is uh, contractually obligated to do it. He's back from his hiatus from last time uh, on the podcast. It's Nick Sears. Nick, welcome back, my friend. My hiatus? Yeah. You're, you Hello. Missed, what did I miss? You missed the uh, uh, Brian Desmond uh, interview. Oh, that's, yes, yeah. I'm sorry to, no. sorry to have missed that one. Yeah, no, um, it, was, it was good. So if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. But welcome back, Nick. It's uh, good to see you again. Thank you. Nice to be here as always and uh, ready to go. Ready to go. Uh, for all of those wondering what I'm smoking, I am smoking a, a Lampert Ocean Breeze. Uh, really great cigar. Uh, Ryan Nihas, uh, one of our reviewers, actually uh, reviewed that for us a couple of months ago, and he gave it a 9.3. I think I would probably agree nice. with that score. Uh, and speaking of, you already heard the yes. He's here with us. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, one of my first guests ever on this podcast. One of my uh, one of my personal friends in the industry and a great all around guy. It's the lovely and talented Vlada Stoyanov. Welcome back to the program, my friend. Thanks for that very very uh, gracious in- introduction. Thank you. I uh, I'm very very happy to be back with you guys and always good to you know see you guys in person and then jump on a Zoom. Yeah, no, it was fun because I remember at the show. I think I said it's the lovely and talented Vladislav. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> okay, like we'll try to live up to it. <laughs> what have you been up to, my man? Like a lot of things have changed since the last time you've been on the show. Uh, industry just celebrated a huge win. Uh, you are distributing, uh, or I guess Sutliff is handling the distribution for, yep. for Lampert, the Ocean Breeze. Uh, but you've come out with your own cigar. We're going to get into all of this, all of this, because all of this is fascinating to me. Uh, because you've been in distribution uh, cigar distribution for a number of years now. And so point, what year are we in? 2023. 20, 20, so yeah, since 2016 or early 2017, something like that. So six or yeah, seven years, a little bit, six or seven years on the distribution side of things. And we'll definitely, we'll, we'll talk about the distribution side of things uh, because you are uh, the man behind uh, bespoke, distribution, uh, which handles, uh, the song, which that's what we want to talk about now. The song, cause you are a, 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 a trained, uh, sommelier. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I did my, so it's a certi- certification, right? Um, I did my original training in Europe. Um, and then I sat for, uh, what would be the equivalent of somewhere, at least at the time when they launched it for the um asi which is the european version of the or it's the oldest uh uh sommelier association in europe um i sat for what is called now the asi diploma um which difficulty level is probably somewhere on like the advanced level scale that is here in the united states for primarily the court of master sommeliers um so when we passed it the first year when they did it i believe it was only like six or seven people that passed um, and then I sat for the second year, uh, mostly because at the time I was, I believe in Mexico, um, working, um, running this, this beautiful, beautiful restaurant. So when I came back, I, you know, I kept studying, working, preparing for it. I sat down and there were seven of us passed in the whole world. Wow. Um, and it was a, it was an interesting test to take. I mean, it took eight or nine hours. Um, I think we got in there like eight thirty nine, something like that, and got out at five. Um, it was a little more, uh, let's call it rudimentary than it is down now. 
so basically they they videotaped it because it was me and I believe eight or nine other people that sat and we like prepped together and try to you know kind of take it take it down together um and to this day I still remember the first question because they sat down you turned the page over and it was it was seven or eight different disciplines right the first one that covered theory which was the longest I believe we had two or three hours to do it I turned the first page and the question was break down these 22 or 23 vineyards in Alsace by soil level and all I did was nope just moved over to the next page that was it and I'm like <laughs> okay let's let's keep going um and then when we talked uh, similar to the way they have the advanced level um, structured here basically the test is kind of designed for you to not be able to nail all the questions right because some are multiple choice some are uh, some are just you know fill in the blanks some are a full-on map uh one i remember was like a full um it was the rhine river in germany and it was like hey there's you know pencil in the names of the vineyards and i'm like okay cool like i can i can nail most of these right because it's you know, you, you do that in school, or at least I did. And it was like, Oh, you just get a blank map. And I'm like, identify what it is. And, you know, pencil in yeah. the key points. Um, so when I moved to the States, I did the, uh, introductory and advanced basically back to back. I did them in like three days because introductory is relatively easy to pass. I think, I believe the pass rate is something like 90%. Oh, um, what they do suggest is because it's just an intro, right? Like introductory is literally, they introduce you to the world of wine and said, Hey, you know, here's, 15, 20 grapes that you should be aware of. And that's kind of it, right? And they kind of guide you, help you along the way. And then certified is for people who, you know, decide to go or commit to it, right? In a, in a hospitality setting, right? Like, okay, this is what I want to specialize in. And that requires a lot more service, the blind tasting portions and everything else. And then advanced is, you know, goes up from there. Uh, but yeah, I've spent a number of years. I think I've worked as a sum give or take, right? The experience wise, probably about 10 years, um, give or take between running beverage programs. I worked, I had incredible, uh, uh, luck and, and, uh, pleasure to work with a grand <laughs> award list, one out of 91 in the world. So that was incredible having access to incredible wine diners who, you know, knew more about certain labels than I did specifically because, Hey, I go to Italy every year and like, I have, you know, the winemaker and the owner on speed dial kind of thing. Be like, yeah, every time I'm in Tuscany, I reach out to so-and-so and like, we meet up at this restaurant and we, you know, enjoy stuff like that. But it was really, really an eye-opening experience. So I kind of, yeah, that's I, the short of it. Yes, I, I am. I have, I have so many questions uh, uh, just because it, it seems like it, that would dovetail nicely into uh, the world of cigars and, and tobacco. Uh, but my, I guess my first, like, this is you taste, uh, and you are able to break things down in a way that probably most of us can't. So when you read the reviews from some of us, uh, reviewers in the industry and you read things like mayonnaise, uh, copy paper and thousand Island dressing all in the same sentence. Do you ever just go like, is this guy's head up his ass? Do you ever read ours and go, Jesus Christ? No, what did, no, what not at all. Um, I walk, I, I, I truly believe, um, unless there's an actual like physical ailment that prevents you from picking up something, all of us have an incredible um, tool in our palate, right? Because this is gonna this is gonna be a sidetrack, so please like just pull me back if I if I go too far. 
Um, basically, our sense of taste is one of the strongest, uh, has one of the strongest abilities for recall out of all of them, right? You remember, and, and you've experienced all of this, right? Like you take a bite and I'm like, oh my God, it's just like grandma made. And all of a sudden you're transported to your grandma's kitchen, right? Like the way she did something. Um, then, right, our ability to recall is really, really strong and and all of us have it innately unless like i said there's an actual physical ailment that prevents you from this um that being said i think the number one issue when people are typically um i don't want to say reviewing because that's not really where i'm going to when they're smoking cigars and trying to pick up these things i think it mostly comes down to from not putting 100 of your focus in right so a lot of us when we're enjoying cigars and I do want to highlight this rather than smoking, like we are enjoying them. Um, we don't give it its fullest attention. Right. I don't know about you guys, but I primarily enjoy cigars in a social setting, right? Like with friends. Yes. Um, yes. I do smoke cigars on my own. Like I've smoked two today when I was working. Right. I literally did like five hours back to back, which just I didn't even peak up. So like, Oh yeah. Um, and I smoked, I actually smoked the Rojo as my first cigar from Lampert. So I know what the profile is, so I kind of ran it on autopilot. But if I didn't, I would have, you know, taken a step back, take a puff, and literally try to give it 100% of my attention. Obviously, that's very, very difficult um, to kind of transport and just be like, okay, this is what I'm focusing on 100%, 100%. So um, the other portion, obviously, is the retro uh, hailing, which is just a very, very fancy way of saying you push your... Uh, you push smoke through the back of your throat. And before the cigar goes out, because I've already talked for like two minutes straight. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of people that, that can't retro. It took me forever to learn to retro hail when I first started this. I remember sitting in my garage and I watched a ton of YouTube videos on how to do it. And I felt like such an idiot, like just trying to literally like <laughs> overact and overblow it out of my nose. And then like the first time I got it, I was like, oh, shit. I can do it so, now. And yeah. Just- and in a very, it's funny because it's easier because it's in gas form. And now I'll dive into like the actual tasting side of it. Right. So when it comes to retrohaling, what you're really doing is now, if you can imagine a cross section of my skull, what I'm doing is you take a puff and it hits the back of your throat and you push it gently through the back of your nose, through your retronasal passage down here and then exhale. Now we do this all the time when you're eating food, when you're drinking liquids, whether it's non-alcoholic or alcoholic beverages, this is how you pick up most of your uh, aromas. And now I'm going to differentiate between uh, aromatic molecules, right? Versus taste. Taste, you're going to perceive in your mouth while the actual aromatic, and again, this is like being super geeky, even though we use that kind of interchangeably, right? Your aromatic compounds are basically carried by oxygen, air, right? You're going to push them through the back of your throat up to your sensory bulb, which is located here. So just tasting under your palate, you'll pick about 10 to 15% is typically what they'll, what they'll gauge for wine, right? Like, Hey, this is what you'll typically pick up. Now the difference with wine is it's a liquid. So the aromatic compounds that are in there are going to be harder to kind of separate, right? Because there's this textural uh, a tactile feeling, right? Like the actual texture of it, not yeah. to say that smoke does not have a texture. Like I want to preface this before we get a bunch of angry comments, but like, oh my God, this totally has, has a texture, but a different type of texture, right? Like I'm talking uh, uh, form wise, right? Uh, wine is going to be liquid. Smoke is going to be in gas form. Now this does two different things. 
the gas form is going to be easier to push through the back of your throat, right? It's going to be easier to perceive these aromatic compounds. That being said, your retrohale very simply. What I'd suggest, and especially if someone hasn't done it before, I always go like, hey, have you ever wine tasted or like tasted beer? Or, you know, do you like cocktails, spirits, whatever? And most people are like, yeah. I'm like, very simple. You take a puff, you'll exhale between 80 to 90% through your mouth. And then you push that leftover 10 to 15% gently through the back of your throat. So I don't know how much you caught that it actually went a little bit out of my nose. Yeah. But the real setup is you want to push it gently for two reasons. One, um, because it's in gas form, it's easier to actually perceive it, but there's always a but. Um, Smoke is hot, right? So it's aggressive on your palate. That's why cold drinks, whether it's just plain old water, um, soda, or anything really with ice, really helps because it cools down your palate, brings your temperature down. And I like to make this comparison, and a lot of people kind of look at me weird when I do, when I, when I say, hey, have you ever smoked hookah before? And some people say yes, some people say no, but I'm like, look, it's very simple, right? Hookah goes through cold water, and you end up enjoying cold smoke. And I'm like, that's what you should be tr- striving to do with your cigars. And if you do it correctly, and I'm not saying that you know you can't smoke fast or whatever. It's your cigar. You can do whatever you want with it. Right. If you want, you know, if you want to dunk it in tequila and do it hundred um, percent. You know, do that. that's on you. Don't do that. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you bought it, you spent money on it. You can do whatever you want. Once it's yours. Sure. You know, enjoy it. However you see, see fit as long as you enjoy it. So um, this gas formula, I say, push it slowly. You should be kind of smoking the cigar, but it's dancing on the edge of it, almost going out. Why? You want to enjoy that relatively cool smoke. So it's not aggressive on your palate for one, and B, it's not aggressive on your retronasal passage, right? As you're pushing it through. Now, here comes the kicker. <laughs> it's going to take you a little bit of time to figure out if it's spice from the cigar, which tingles your nostrils right down here, versus hot hot smoke, right? And this is very, very easy to differentiate. Like it, t- it sounds difficult, but it's relatively easy to differentiate. Um, if you push it too fast and the smoke is hot, it's going to burn your nostrils. And if it's just spice, it's going to tingle your nostrils. That being said, you can have an absolute pepper bomb of a cigar, right? There's plenty of them on the market and, you know, they have their own um, loyal following where it can absolutely feel like someone stuck a Ruberosa pepper melon just sh- right, yeah. like full on pepper spray straight out of straight out of Shrek. Um, but again, as you develop and enjoy cigars, you'll develop this Rolodex of flavors. So. And it's all still experiential, right? Because it, absolutely, because, you, because your mind does recall things. And so where I taste caramel, someone else may taste nuts, but it's because of our experience prior. It's not because 100%. that's really and, and what we're tasting. You've, you've nailed that portion as well. A lot of your tasting um, perception, so to speak, comes from your background and as well as how adventurous you are as an eater. Um, a lot of it uh, also in, in this... I always mention this and people are like, oh my God, and like, it sounds like I'm, I'm ragging on the language, but it's not. English language is relatively poor when it comes to describing flavors and textures and the intricacies of it, um, which isn't a bad thing. It's just, you know, that's the nature of the language. Right. So we're limited somewhat in that scope. But if you ever want to truly get better at tasting, um, 
the easy thing is, you know, literally punch in cigar wheel on Google. There's 100 million of them. Download one and just really, really pay attention. Um, as far as like experiences, yeah, I might say it's walnuts. You might say it's almonds. Um, I, I am very, very good at picking up jasmine in cigars as a floral note, which is relatively rare. There's very, there's a handful of cigars that I specifically love when I find that in, um, which again is a very weird floral o- sensation. O- oddly specific floral. Yeah. But note. why? Yeah. I had a jasmine tree growing up and every year I would walk out. And even to this day, when I, when I'm walking and I run into like, I smell jasmine, I'm like, Oh, you know, like sunshine, happiness as a child and like frolicking in the, well, not woods, but you know, backyard. Yeah. Um, right. Like this is your recall that comes into play. Um, that being said, I also pick up like, uh, almonds and marzipan really, really easily. Why? My mom was traveling when I was a kid, I was like four or five. She came back from a trip to Germany, brought home like five or six pounds of marzipan. So they left to like go to a neighbor's house for like coffee or something, right? Like left a five-year-old telling them there's six (laughs) pounds worth of marzipan and ended up eating like two pounds. I was sick for two days. I couldn't eat marzipan until I was like 25. But guess what? I can pick up almonds from three streets down. So that begs so, the que- yeah. that, begs, that begs the question then, Vlada. How much of what we taste in a cigar is objective, and how much is subjective? How much is it past recall, and how much of it is oh, that's really what you're tasting? Because I mean, when mm. you, when you think about it, we're, Ooh, we're you're getting existential. Just, yeah, like it's all just <laughs> rolled up dried leaves. That's all we're smoking, right? But that's so, the magic of it. Yeah. But That's how much magic. is objective? Because I mean, look for for a reader who who's trying to to really get into cigars. Like I remember when I first started, and I remember we had this conversation on, on a forum we were on, and and I think we even had this conversation at the Clayton. Um, yeah. When we, you know, like how do you really? How do you do that? And it took me two or three years to get comfortable enough to be like, oh, okay, I can do a review now. Like it's not gonna be the best review. Like I have a shit palate. Like, sorry. So, but but how much is objective? How much of it is really what you're tasting and how much of it is real? So I would say it's it's kind of a mixed bag and I know it's a cop out answer. Um primarily and I'll and I'll go back to my my wine background, right? When we rated wines, we would have you know whatever, 8, 10, 12 of us rate. And there would be a baseline, right? If 12 of us say this is a 90 point wine and there's one dude who sell, says it's 95 and it tastes like the beautiful rays of sunshine along with the massage after a hard day of work while one guy says it tastes like a fiero that caught on fire you get rid of the the super beautiful one and you get rid of the fiero that's on fire and you kind of say okay well this is the baseline so if <clears throat> If the between the three of us, we say, okay, well, this is a relatively light to medium strength cigar with, let's use the Rocco phrasing, light to medium strength cigar and strength. I'll, I'll dive into that one as well. Um, it's primarily creamy because again, you think about the Ecuadorian Connecticut, primarily it's going to give you those sweet notes, a little bit of whether it's vanilla, creaminess, oak, right? Like that's open to interpretation, but it wouldn't be a miss to call this primarily creamy with spice with undertones of spice to kind of give it a little bit of a pop, right? And then we can dive into like whether it's black pepper, whether it's white pepper, whether it's floral red pepper or vegetal green pepper or something else. Like we can dive into those, but the overall baseline is kind of set. So I so think the, the objective so the, side. 
so the objective type is very vague, very uh, painting with a broad brush, like you said. Yes, spice, the, the, but it's like we're not going to typically get. Yes, so the objective portion is there. The subjective part comes from, uh, right? Like, how really do we want to get into it? And that's where our personal experience comes into it, right? Hence the subjective part. So, um, you know, again, blind tasting is really, really good. I'm I'm on the cigar journal tasting panel, so we've tasted a bunch of stuff. And it's always interesting because I kind of, I don't calibrate my palate. I just like, hey, this is what it is. To me, this is what it is. That being said, the objective parts of it carry most. The difference between a 90, 92, and a 95 cigar is mostly in the subjective portion, in the tasting part, right? So the 90, 92, and 95 should all nail, in my opinion, should all nail perfect points as far as the objective part, which is the construction, the burn, the draw, right? Like the bunching, the rolling, however you want to call it, right? Like all of these um, objectively easy to assess things. Right. Then it comes to the actual flavor profile, right? Provided, and I do try to give this, even if, you know, the cigar might not be an engaging one as much as I expected it to, um, you know, I will go, I will smoke a seven by 70. That's just four four flavors throughout. And I'm Ugh. like, great. I'm going to assume that this is what the blender wanted, right? Because they wouldn't release it otherwise. And right. this is this is the, you know, this is the profile that they're going for. So I got to judge it within that realm of a profile. Now, will that cigar get 95? Probably not. I don't think it's complex enough. So for my subjective part, I don't believe it's subject uh, subjectively. I don't think it's complex enough to warrant a 95. But All that right. being said, it nailed everything else. So, you know, Right. It ends up very good to excellent. So, okay. When I think of, let me start there. When I think of the difference between something that's in the nines, the nineties, or something that's in the eight, the eighties or whatever, it it's, it's a very subtle difference, especially around that eight, seven to nine, mm -hmm. two mark. It's a very subtle difference. Uh, and for me, it's typically something just seemed a little off, a little out of place. One flavor maybe didn't match right. Or maybe it was a, something that was objective, like a construction issue or yeah. whatever. But if it comes down to flavor, it's usually something's kind of out of place. Doesn't really mesh well with with everything else. Uh, but it, but that that's where it kind of, like you said, you're really digging down into that subjective part. And, and and I agree with you with everything you said, right? So the difference between an 87 or an 88 versus a 90, assuming that the profiles are identically complex, let's just leave it at that. It's got to be something from an objective standpoint, right? Whether it's the burn, the draw, the right, like something, something is off from an objective standpoint. Uh, it might just not be, you know, it might just look super rough. Yeah. Which again is a very, very, it's, you it's know, a little if you look subjective. at a Connecticut Broadleaf, a Connecticut Broadleaf is never going to be as beautiful as let's say Ecuadorian Connecticut, for example, right. right? Like you have to take that into account as well. So you can't, how does it go again? You can't really judge a, a fish and its ability to climb a tree or something, right? Like, that's kind of it, right? That's you just have to know what you're judging, but that also expects, you know, a certain level of knowledge on your part. Um, I, I guess that's kind of as, as far as the flavor profiles. I also have to hedge this a little bit, right? Like I don't love pepper bombs. I don't like high nicotine strength. It's never about for me, right? But I can't take it. I don't take that against the cigar. Yeah, you can't have a personal. You can't bias. have a personal. That's yeah. at that point you're breaching your, your, you're trying to be as unbiased as possible while using one of the 
most sophisticated uh, tools you have, which is your palate, right? And it's also, you're trying to be incredibly non-subjective, right? Like just unbiased. You're trying to be objective with an ultimately subjective thing, which is incredibly difficult to do. It is incredibly difficult to do. But when we talk about, you know, what the blender wanted, I mean, we can ask Nick. I mean, he's a master blender Mm -hmm. and I love calling him that because he hates it. When you're blending a cigar, Nick, when when you're doing that and, and you're looking at like like Vlada said, you're looking at the different wrappers and maybe you there's a there's a couple of different wrappers you're looking at. Does it come into play like which one looks better because of what score it might get or it, for you as a blender? Is it all flavor, flavor, flavor? It's not about looks. Uh, I mean, the wrapper itself, it depends like Cuban cigars. They have some of the nice, silkiest, beautiful wrapper. But for me, they have the least amount of flavor that they offer to a cigar. Uh, for some reason, the Cuban wrapper is so thin and just a good test for somebody to do that is you, I literally will take the wrapper off of a Cuban cigar and it really doesn't change the flavor profile that much. You but take it on. Huh? And you're right. I, I have to agree with you. Yes. Their wrappers historically have always been relatively neutral. And if anything might be just slightly floral and the closest thing, right. we, in my opinion, that you can get to that is the Brazilian Cuba. Right. So if you ever yeah. smoke that as a Pareto, that's about yeah. as close as you can get to what the Cubans do with the wrappers. That being said, right, like you can play around with it. You can ferment it differently. You can age it. You can do a lot of other things. But I agree that they're you can. Yeah, you can change it. But from the way that Cubans do it, yes, they it's part of their the way they've been doing it for years where mm-hmm. they just, again, trying to be as neutral as possible. And they're more about the interior of the cigar. So for aesthetic looks. Definitely for Cuban. I mean, a wrapper, that's what a wrapper is for. What's the difference between a wrapper and a binder is generally the look, the look of the, of the leaf. So if you put a a binder as the, as the wrapper, it's going to look shitty, but will it change the, the taste? No. If you use the same thing, um, what I, for as a blender, when I first started, because my background and my palate is very Cuban and I blended for overseas, most of my early years, trying to do stuff for the U.S. market, I, I couldn't understand it at first because they like stuff that I, I was like, so if you go in with, I'm only going to blend it for myself, you know, then you're defeating, you know, and, and it also drives me crazy when retailers will say, well, let me see, you know, if I like the cigar. I don't like that word, you know, like, well, if it has merit, if you think it can sell, just because you personally don't like that flavor, you know, or it's in your wheelhouse doesn't mean that that's not going to sell to somebody else. So for a retailer, it says, oh, this is a well-constructed cigar. It has flavors. It's got this. It hits all these points. Yes, this has merit, should be in my humidor. But for someone to say, I don't like it, then I'm not going to sell it. That's to me, you're, 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 you know, if you try to go and say, I'm just going to blend for myself and I'm only going to blend, you know, what I learned very early on is blending for other people. Like I would get an idea of by what they smoke, what they like, and then use that as a baseline, try to use that instead of my own palette as what I like. So, you know, that's what you have to do as a blender. And also as a retailer, I wish retailers were more open to some retailers don't care. They just care that it sells. People ask for it. They walk in, they'll sell a Macanudo all day long, not disparaging Macanudo, but if that's what people are asking for, that's what they want to sell because it's the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. But as far as if a cigar has merit and is better quality tobacco and better fermented and gives you more of those points and more complexity, 
they should also be sold. Maybe that's not what you like, but if you introduce people to that, you know, that's what retailers should do. And blenders too, you know, most blenders, you know, they have their, what they think is the, the ideal cigar. Doesn't mean they're always going to blend that way, maybe for their own cigar stash, but you have to be open and understand all the other types of uh, flavor profiles and what people like. And the U.S. market for me was the hardest because generally speaking, the hardcore cigar guys, they have this thing that they think if it's not super strong or it doesn't have a lot of pepper, that it's not a good cigar. And what also drives me crazy when you're talking about the, the retro hailing, I watch people retro every damn, every damn inhale. And it's all coming out of there. And I'm like, what are they tasting? Like it's, they're burning the shit out of their nose. They're smoking it like crazy. You see like, like a bull with like smoke coming out constantly. And I'm looking at these people when I'm tasting a cigar again, closer to what Vlad was saying, uh, you know, I, I take one puff every so often, you know, and I'll, and I'll retro it. And again, a lot of people think that was the key thing, Vlad, that you said that a lot of people don't realize they think they're failing and they're not doing um, retro hailing correctly because they're not getting all the smoke to come out of their nose. And it's like, that's okay. The idea is you just want to get some enough for you. And again, it would also be cooler in that way. If you're trying to push it all through your nostrils, <laughs> it's going to sting, you know, especially on a stronger cigar. So I try to teach people how to taste cigars, not for reviewing, because I do believe there's so much subjectivity to smoking a cigar. And the key thing that Vlad mentioned, if I just go back is the fact that it's all about your personal experience. Grandma's pie, you know, uh, his thing with with the nuts, you know, whatever your reason is of what your flavors that you like or dislike is where you're going to go back to. So your experiences may be totally different from somebody from another part of the country, another part of the world. So everyone's going to have their own objective, you know, feel towards that cigar. You know, and it's it's funny that you bring up, you know, that uh, different parts of the world have a different kind of palate. And you've talked about this ad, ad nauseum, Nick, where the American palate is so much different than the European palate. And, and you've always blended for the European palate. And you just came out with the Nikos that is more for the American palate. And there's a there's a marked difference between the Nikos and your and your core blend. But I want to ask Vlada this <laughs> because you are from Europe. And you have lived in uh, the United States for uh, many years now. So when you blended the Psalm, when you came out with the Psalm, what were you looking for? Were you looking for something kind of in the middle? Were you looking for the American palette? Were you looking for European this is, palette? The look is not European at all. I mean, this is, I'm assuming the market has changed. But again, keep in mind, I've, I've lived in the States since 2015. I mean, I've worked with primarily the Habanos portfolio for six or seven years. Like at one point I had five, five or six, no, seven humidors that I was like overseeing. And again, they were all targeted, right? Like the fine dining restaurant is going to have a different humidor versus an all day dining kind of thing. Like a bar is going to have a different setup. Um, and I agree with Nick hundred percent. The what, and again, I'm sure that the market has changed in the last, you know, six to eight, 10 years, but Strong cigars. I mean, I remember thinking I smoked really, really full cigars and it was like Aramon Alonios Gigantes and things like that. And I'm like, oh my God, this is great. And someone brought me a digger and I believe that was 2012. <laughs> yeah. I got halfway through. I was sick. I thought I was going to throw up. And I'm like, this is like at the time, right? My thinking was like, this is unsmokable. How can people enjoy it? Um, just because I didn't understand it, right? Like this was a completely foreign thing to me. This is just not made like that. And I 100% agree. The European palette is much, much different than the US. 
Um, now, now that's going to change a lot yeah, in the next absolutely. coming years with the Habanos pricing, you know, yeah. going through the stratosphere and the rest of the world now in some ways feeling forced to try more new world mm-hmm. cigars, their palate will start changing. Uh, the whole world's perception of cigars will start changing and it's already happened in the last three or four years and it's only happening more and more as we go on. And it's, it's a, it's a, you know, I'm I'm no you know wine sommelier, but I do know a lot about it, having watched and read. You know, I I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's harder than passing the bar for the for the stuff that you got to do for that, um, because you really got to hone your skills and be able to articulate what you're tasting, and that's the hardest thing for a lot of people. But as that's changing you'll see the whole world will, will change. And I think it's a good thing where before, you know, using the wine as, as, and it's so, you know, parallel in so many ways, wines and cigars, you know? So I think having that wine background, Vlad is, is gotta be like such a leg up for, for most people. Um, I love wine, but I never, and I have an interest in it, but I, there's no way I was going to get that into it, you know, but um, I think it's cool. You know, I think it's great. But that is what's key. Like now, you know, when, when California wines first came on the market, they were like poo-pooed in the beginning, you know, and now they're on the same level, you know, and all these other wines that people initially were like, oh, it's not French. It's not this. But now everybody's kind of getting more of a level playing field. The the wine industry is so much more ahead of its time in the timeline of the world. I think it's so much more advanced than the the, the cigar industry. And I think that's going to happen. You'll see that grow and mature uh, worldwide. 100% agree. And I've I, just to kind of go off the, the wine portion, right? So when California wines initially started, they were trying to basically mirror what Bordeaux is doing. But you have to take into account, right? Bordeaux has a relatively, I'm going to use a wine term rather than call it what it is, a marginal climate, right? So you're really going to, or at least you used to struggle to kind of get it ripe. And there were some kind of textbooks ways how to pick it and how to do stuff. Obviously, that's no longer a thing between bitter farming, uh, you know, slightly warmer temperatures and things like that. But California had none of those things. So it took up until uh, 1997 vintage is really the one that if you really dive into wines, what really catapulted Napa into what we know as Napa today. So 1997 was a massive crop load, right? So basically wineries are kind of built like restaurants, right? You're not ever supposed to work at hundred percent occupancy all the time because then you fail, things go broke. So, you know, you're kind of set up for like an average amount of stuff with or amount of grapes to come in and you ferment it, then you clear the tanks, move them into barrels. And, you know, two years later, you're released. So what ended up happening in 97, takes you about three weeks, give or take, um, you know, up or down a few days to ferment the red wines from you know, from picking to like actually putting them into barrels or unless you're fermenting in barrel. Anyway, so basically what they looked at it, they had twice the amount of crop that they usually get. So they're like, okay, we're just going to leave them on the vine because that's like money. That's like literal money sitting on the vine, on the vine. So they ended up picking it, you know, three or four weeks later and then fermenting it again. So as Robert Parker at the time went and tasted this stuff, they're like, huh, like this is pretty cool, right? This new brash, big, bold, super fruit forward stuff that Napa didn't really have at the time. So they kind of looked at it they were like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Well, you know, screw it. We're just going to blend it all together. So they blended it and ended up getting a much more approachable red wine, easily understandable for basically anybody who's really, who's a real like wine aficionado, like they'll understand it, but it's also like, approachable to anybody who just wants to crack open a nice bottle of wine. 
Um, and the actual farming, the way they started making these super extractive, big fruit forward wines didn't really hit up, up until 2000. Because remember, 1997, they picked it. They didn't release it until 2000. So they released it in 2000. Everybody goes crazy. High scores. Everybody loves it. They sell through all of it. And then they looked at it, 2000, 2000 being a very hot vintage, 2001 being the hottest vintage on record, 2004 being the hottest vintage on record. And they just switched the whole winemaking profile to like, this is what Napa tastes like. This is what California tastes like. And I feel that kind of happened with the with the cigar world as well, right? For, for the longest time, people are like, oh, it's Cuban-esque. It's this. They're trying to like reference something and make it outside of Cuba. Until at one point, the cigar producing countries said, we don't need to chase this. We have our own identity. So now when you say a Nicaraguan cigar, you kind of already invoke something. It's not Cuba light. No, it's going to be, at least in my mind, when I say Nicaraguan, I'm assuming medium full, medium full, probably, right? There's going to be some spice into it, depending on, right, the factory profile that you're making. But ultimately, there's a thing. Like if you say Dominican Republic, you already have something that comes to mind. I think Honduras is coming into its own as well, right? It's um, not that it, it's a small cigar producing country. It's not. I believe it's number two. It was number two last year or the year before, uh, yeah. maybe 2022 or 2021. It was it was like number two. It overtook DR, I believe, that, that one year. So it's coming into its own. And the way I blended my cigar, which again, this, is, this does not look like a European cigar, right? A box press, six by six. Do you, obviously, this is the biggest size that there is. But, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's- There's uh, also a Robusto and a, and a Toro. Yeah, these uh, are these, these are definitely not you know a, a it does not look like size, a no. European cigar at all. However, um, rather than like do hey, I'm just gonna remake my variation a blend that's been done a hundred times. Not to say that you know there isn't something to it. I just looked at it and I'm like, hey, this is something cool. I've never had Honduran broadleaf before, and the story, at least that that's what I've been told. They basically started growing it in 2020. I took the seeds from Connecticut, grew it down there. Um, and this is from that original, original run. So I smoked it and it's absolutely incredible. I'm not a huge Connecticut Broadleaf, uh, fan. Just typically you get that, you know, grittiness, the, the meatiness, the smokiness, it's just big, like rough, both texturally. Um, and it's just not my, my preferred profile. I can definitely smoke and enjoy the, uh, the Connecticut Broadleaf cigars and I'm enjoying plenty of them, but I was like, I've never had anything like this. You get and I'm going to use just the scaling. So smoking the burrito flavor wise, right? And when I say flavor, I mean the actual impact on your palate, like your perception, how clear it is. I would put it at a four and a half or a five, right? Like super flavorful, very clear, very clean, um, easy to comprehend of what it gives. And it primarily gives you this uh, cereal sweetness. Like if you enjoy bourbon, like you'll know that from like bourbon mash. Um, it gives you this really like sweet walnut, like pecans. That's really what it does give you on, on the palate. Um, meat, like two and a half to three in terms of impact, like body, actual weight under quotes of the, right? Like your perception on the palate. And then strength wise, nothing. Like that previously mentioned Macanudo for the most part, just like 1.5, super like very low nicotine strength. And I looked at it, I'm like, great. This is, this is something that I can work with. Um, and then I picked two other, you know, I picked San Andreas uh, Maduro, which is kind of like, wow, left field. Um, I picked that and I, I said, okay, well, how can I introduce 
something new to the market and just have people try it. And the best way to do it is you make it familiar, but different, right? Wouldn't you agree, Nick? That's kind of like what you want to do. You reference something, but then you make it your own. Yeah. If you're trying to copy it, then that's the wrong approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, In layman terms with Nicaragua, I remember the first cigars that were really coming out of Nicaragua in the early 90s that in my opinion, again, I was only smoking Cubans back then. It was like, this stuff is not smokable. What are people now Nicaragua over the last 30 years? Oh my God, has it changed and evolved and matured and they're getting it. And of course, now they make some of the best tobacco uh, in the world. I believe that's because of years of experience of years of changing and evolving, because again, they're not trying to be Cuban, but initially I think what they did is they took the, you know, the Cubans, that went there and tried to do and replicate what they were doing in Cuba using the same formulas, the same timelines, the same fermentation process, and applying it to a totally different country with a much volcanic, uh, more mineral type soil. And they were producing totally different cigars. Uh, Not that they were bad, but people were like, what the hell is this? I was one of those persons, you know? And over the years, it's just not even the same stuff. I remember La Aurora, the stuff they were producing at first, I'm like, this company sucks, you know? And now they make some of the best cigars out there, you know? I couldn't believe how bad, again, coming from a different palette, from another world, another part of the world. Even though I lived in the States my whole life, I was always a Cuban smoker uh, and that's how I got into it, you know? And then I had the lounges overseas. And again, I was marketing to people you know outside of the u.s so it didn't it took me a while to change and now i smoke everything under the sun just to understand what's out there still a lot of it i don't understand but uh i don't have to you know what i mean it's like i go okay if that's what people like i'll try to do something like that but put my own twist to it again the key is and i remember luciano said the same thing you know people will go to me you know because i blend for other people oh can you make this like a padrone no because Padron makes it like a Padron. Why would I want to make another Padron? You know, not that I can replicate that, but you don't need to make the same cigar. I understand what they're trying to say. So, okay, we'll take that. You know, I understand without them talking because they they don't have to tell me what they're, because they can't properly describe it. No, it's not going to be a Padron. If you're looking for a Padron, get a Padron. We don't make Padrones here, you know, but I understand what they're saying. And then I'll give them something totally different, but along the same lines that I know they're going to like because they like Padrones. If they like that, that flavor profile, I can come up with something that'll be something that they'll like. So again, different. That's the key thing. It's similar, but very different in of itself. I love it. You said a, a very, very important thing, which I feel a lot of people tend to fall into this um, and winemakers do the same thing. And I call it palate blindness where you kind of just get a high off your own supply and you said the right thing. I smoke everything under the sun. Um, believe it or not, one of the most ex- things I'm most excited about smoking is the Camacho at Hunter and Broadleaf. It's it's launching in September. I can't wait to try it because I want to see what better blenders than I have like actually done with this. I want to see what their take on Hunter and Broadleaf is. Um, and... I truly believe that like smoking everything under the sun gives you a better overall understanding and view. Um, yes, obviously, if it's a line extension of not to name names, but like super popular, you know, legacy brand that just released a new format, I can skip that one. But you know, uh, Nick releases a, a one one off limited. Yes, I'm gonna go out and like try it. I want to see what he's doing. 
I want to try and like, I want to guess what the tobaccos are. And if I'm stumped, you're like, cool, I'm going to go, you know, on half wheel or something or like somewhere. And I like look up what the actual fact sheet and I'm like, this is what it is. But like, cool, this is super interesting. Um, but just, yeah, I agree. I mean, that that is so, so important. And I love that you mentioned padrones because every, every, I don't even want to say year, every six months, a padrone killer comes out. <laughs> every I, I love it. I, I, I absolutely love it. And I, I mean, there's a reason why they're a benchmark. And I I've, I've remember sitting in this conversation where someone said verbatim quote, when asked, well, why don't you put these in cello? The answer was, well, Padron doesn't do it. And the retailer smirked for a second and said, yep, but Padron's been doing it for 50 years. And I just laughed. And I'm like, you're right. Not that there's right like anything wrong or right with the Padron, but like something comes with longevity. And I, you're right, I don't think there is a profile that like clearly copies it, and it shouldn't. Padron is its own thing. In my opinion, and I'm like I, you know, when I want a padrone, I'll go buy a padrone, a lot of padrone. if I want that profile. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this, Vlada, because I want I, I want to get into the blends because you've got a, a couple of different uh, sizes of the psalm. Uh, I, I've got a box. I got a couple of boxes back there. I got the Premier Crew. Uh, so I want to talk if there's a, like what the differences are, why you did that. But before we get into into the psalm too heavily. I want to ask you this. So the trade show was just uh, a little over a month ago. It's all said and done. We're, we're coverage is done. You go check it out on simplystogies.com. Um, <clears throat> talking shameless with, plug. Shameless plug. When we was talking with a lot of the manufacturers there at the show, uh, yourself included, everybody said, "Oh, banner year, banner year." Like this has been a great show for everybody. We we did a lot of business. Everything was great. I think Dunbarton. I think Saka said, "You know, hey, we did what we did last year." In four days, we did it in the first day as far as sales go. And to me, it's a little, it, it's funny. And it's funny, not haha, but funny, huh? Because when you look at the economy, the economy is not the best here in the U.S. And even worldwide, inflation is up. Uh, so spending is down. And all of the retailers said, oh, yeah, we bought a ton. We bought a ton. We bought a ton. Well, the, the, the boom, this little mini boom that we had because COVID is over. I mean, things aren't going down, but they've definitely leveled off. So to me, is it things are still great in the cigar industry or is it great because, like you said, like Nick said earlier, the European market is having to kind of dip into the new world cigar market. And so distributors, and you can speak to this because you your background is in distributing. Distributors are like, oh man, we can sell now. We can go get over here. And so if, if they're going to other countries now, that means the allocation for the U.S. might dwindle a little bit. So we've got to buy now to make sure we get what we want and it's, we don't miss out because they're going to start sending this stuff overseas. Is that the case or is it really, no, business is still just as good as it was during COVID? I, I don't think that, I, I sincerely doubt that it's the same as it was during COVID. Um, and I think, Calling it a mini boom is not right. I think it truly was a boom because there was a 30% year-over-year growth in imported cigars from 300 million, a little a little over 30% actually, from 300 and I believe it was 17 or 20 million to 420 million. Um, that, and, and I'll, so I like numbers. Um, 
when people talk about the cigar boom and Nick, you can, you can like jump into this cause I wasn't around for the cigar boom, but I looked at the numbers, right? Like I went through it. Everybody talks about how great it was, but then you look at the numbers in 94 to 97, it was something like, I, it was some small number. It was like 12 million to like 18 million cigars, right? Like 50% growth, but 50% from 12 to 18. And then you looked at it at 99, the US market was doing something like 50 million cigars, right? So it's a massive, massive jump, even though everybody is like, oh, the cigar boom kind of finished. I mean, I think we plateaued at 400 million cigars or something, which is still a third more than we were importing three years ago. What I do think that a lot of retailers, because there was an actual shortage, like the big companies were out of cigars. Companies that could run their factories 24 seven were out of cigars. Um, to a point where you talk to retailers, be like, I don't put an order and I put a wish list, and it show you know whatever shows up shows up. Um, so I think people have kind of like business came back to normal, right? Like there aren't as many shortages, or they shouldn't be as many shortages. Um, I do think there there are going to be some in the next probably two years, year and a half to two. Um, Ecuador lost an entire harvest, so Ecuador and Habana and Connecticut are either going to go through the roof or they're gonna be harder to source or hard to come by. Um, I do think that's gonna impact stuff. Uh, when I was in Honduras, I believe they said that um, one of the largest growers and traders said that they won't be, or they will minimize the amount of stuff that they're selling because they ended up producing two and a half years worth of stuff that they do in a single year. So that's gonna impact stuff. Um, I think those are all things that might it might actually not be felt because we might just go back to 300 something million, which is still a very, very good um, number. Then again, there might be another boom coming just because the FDA thing, which we mentioned earlier, is such a massive win for the industry. Um, and and I do consider that a win, it, even if it's just a, uh, you know, kind of kicking the can down the road until they kind of look at us again. Yeah, temporary. Yeah. Um, but again, just the fact that there was a win and it wasn't a win because they shouldn't regulate it. It was how they approached it, which is a very, very different thing. Right. FDA wasn't told you can't regulate this. They just said you didn't follow the proper steps. And you basically said, well, this doesn't fit my narrative. So I'm going to say it doesn't exist. I'm going to ignore well, that's not how it really works. Right. Um, uh, I'm, that being said, I mean, whether or not they're, if the boom is still ongoing, I think you're right. I think the, the economy has slowed down a little bit. Um, people are buying differently. All the helicopter money, if I can call it that from COVID, you know, just stopped going. The mania from 2021 and 2022 where, you know, throw it on a wall, stick it, and like everything comes out. Everything works. Everything sells. Everything, you know, everybody's the smartest person in the world. Um, I think that has kind of cooled off. So the market is self-regulating now, if you can believe that. Um, but we had a huge win in Nevada, for example. We uh, July 1st, uh, our tax rate, it still stayed 30%. However, it got capped at 50 cents. And we have two or three lounges opening in the next, like one is actually having a grand opening on Wednesday. Um, one is opening end of October. And I believe there's one more in the works. So, um, you know, it from a state perspective, it makes no sense to try and, state's not going to retire and make a ton of money off me buying a Davidoff for a Padron, but they will get 
super happy of people buying, you know, the mass produced mass market stuff that's available in a gas station where the prices have gone up by 20 cents and nobody's going to notice. Um, and they're going to capture all of it. Plus, more importantly, the state gets to collect sales and, and uh, sales and use tax, right? So they get an extra, every transaction they were missing, they get to collect it now. Um, plus, ultimately, I don't buy anything online. I, I really don't. I'm just, I'm a, you know, I just buy straight from my brick and mortar or brick and mortars. If I'm visiting somewhere, that's just it. I just don't buy online. It's not because I don't support the online retailers. It's, you know, I'm here. I want to support the brick and mortar because I truly believe that the brick and mortars are closer to the hospitality industry than they are in the cigar industry. I would agree uh, with that. You know, the, hey, man, humidor's over there versus like, hey, we're happy to see you kind of response, right? Like you're either a hostess on your phone waiting for me to walk in and just wait for you to acknowledge me. Or you're like, hey, man, how's it going? Welcome. Like, let me take you to the humidor. Are you looking for anything specific, right? Like there's a human interaction there. And uh, like, I personally don't ask for recommendations because I mostly probably smoked everything at a humidor. Or I ask something funny, be like, hey, man, do you guys have anything old, anything shop specific, right? Like you know, give me your house. Cigar. Yep. Like, Hey, tell me who mm. makes it. Okay. Well, it's made by the Placentias. Great. Like, let me see what they do. Is it, you know, is it something you guys blended or did they just make it for you? They're like, Oh, we blended it for ourselves. Cool. I want to see what your, you know, what you came up with. Um, I don't know. So banner years, I don't know. I think last year was keep in mind. Also last year I did, did it with four brands this year. I did it with two. And we did about the same, a little over actually, by like 4%. Wow. So I think that kind of evens it out. Um, so one brand just had a double basically, um, which is really good. Uh, and Charlie always highlights this. He goes, I can't wait to walk around the show floor, everybody to tell me how much margin they gave away for all this banner year. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's kind of a very funny take. Um, but no, I mean, I think... There are some interesting, really, really interesting cigars that have come out or are coming out. Um, I did try the Volstead Act. I, I thought that was really, really good. I smoked a um, oh, I smoked the Holy Smokes from Dapper. I really oh, enjoyed that. Did you like that one? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Great group, guys. Uh, very, very happy. And I love Ian. He's a great guy. Um, when you talked, Nick, about old school uh, Nicaraguan stuff, I actually think Hoya de Nicaragua makes something, not from a smoke, just from like old school blending style. Um, I thought Jeremy McDonald from Wildfire did a really, really good job with his revivalist. And and whenever I'm looking for that kind of throwback, I, I like to reference that cigar. I like that a lot. And if you haven't tried it, I, I highly recommend it. It's a really cool cigar and it's made at Hoya. Um so that's a that's a little shameless plug for a couple of friends in the industry, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's kind of the that's kind of the long winded answer. I don't know if it's. I think retailers have gotten back to ordering how they usually do. Um, the U international markets from people who are brand owners or manufacturers. I've heard that the international markets have really spiked up, which is good. The downside is Europe is difficult regulation wise from registration and all the other stuff. Um, taxation is a different thing. And then the margins that typically like retailers work with here are kind of unfathomable over there. Um, really? yeah, a lot of the, some of the countries have, fixed. Uh, yeah, um, fixed pricing, right? So whether you buy it here or next door, there's no, 
There's no types of deals. You can't give stuff away. There's a bunch of restrictions that we kind of enjoy here. Um, basically, you can just show up here and be like, hey, we're imported. Pay the S-chip. You know, there's no registration. You just ate it and I'm here. Um, Europe is not like that at all. Wow. Yeah, for distributors, for retailers, and for manufacturers like France, like if you realize what margins they work on there, it's like, why would you want to have a, a shop in France, you know? It's like it made no sense. It just made no sense. But wow. it is what it is. You know, it's it's a different it's a different animal altogether. But and they're somehow lot, in business. That's that's yeah, that's, that's just how they do. But, but a lot of the medium to larger companies here in the U.S. and factories that are now focusing, I don't want to say maybe focusing is not the right word, but all of a sudden they're just their eyes are lighting up because it's a lot less work, you know what I mean? To be able to just send it to one guy and they do your mark. They do the marketing, they pay up front for the most part and it's out of your hands and you just move on. You know, it's, it's a wonderful thing when, uh, and that's, you know, what I've been talking about, like 80% of the work I do is for 20% of my business, you know, here in the States, it's like, you know, it's like, not that I want to give it up because I do believe I'd love to get my cigar in every shop, but what you have to do to do that, you got to really buckle down and be prepared. And I think having talked to a lot of new brands and people that are coming on the scene now, I, I kind of, you know, I don't want to discourage them, but I, I kind of shake my head inside and go, oh boy, this guy doesn't know what he's in for, you know, um, because people don't, they don't realize what is in, what is involved in having your own cigars and, and bringing, they, they think it's all fun and games or ego or whatever. No, it's not. You know, the best joke in the industry is how do you make a million dollars in, you know, in the industries start with 2 million because it's a very, not only time consuming, but you know, the amount of expenses and travel and everything you have to do to just get a foothold. And at the end of the day, a lot of retailers kind of use the new guys, you know, they just kind of use them and, you know, very few take off because of that. And it's sad, but it's what the, this industry in the U S does, you know, where I think overseas, I think people give it a fair shake, I think is what, what I, what I've, I've gotten out of it. Like here, a lot of retailers will go, yeah, this will be the flavor of the week. Let's try this, you know, but it's almost a defeatist attitude where they have no intent mentally to really go forward with it. I'm not saying everybody, but generally speaking, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, talking in broad strokes, but overseas, they'll really give it a shot, you know, and there's less importance to legacy or what it is. They just go by what the cigar tastes like and what they like. And that's what they smoke uh, here. It's a little bit more complicated. That's what yeah, my the, feeling. The funny part is here, um, right. As I, I distribute Lampert here in Europe, you're mostly up against Cubans, right? Which is its own different beast. Now that all those price increases, I think it actually helps for any newcomer brand that oh, jumps absolutely. through all the, all the hurdles. Because um, yeah. I remember, I remember when um, Camacho was bought and then rebranded by Davidoff, and the uh, uh, head of East Europe, I believe. So she did a presentation in Belgrade, and uh, she said that because they priced it under 10 bucks, right, 10 euros at the time, which is 2012, for example, um, they basically targeted, because I asked her, I'm like, okay, well, explain to me, why would you do this? 
She goes, look, this is meant at entry-level smokers. We're going to make it under 10 euros. And the closest thing that at the time was was there was like 12 or 13 euros was a Roman Julieta number two, right? Which is a Corona. We're doing a Toro at nine. So we wanted to make it color-coded, super easy, super understandable. And in basically in that year or so that they were on the market, then they managed to cannibalize something like 20 or 30% of the market that Habanos had at the time. So almost, I don't want to call it overnight, but relatively quickly, Habanos at the time released the Monte Cristo Open Eagle, which is very light compared to the regular Monte Cristo line, or was at the time. I don't know what it is. I haven't smoked in years, but the Monte Cristo Open Eagle was relatively light. And at the time when it released, it was, I believe, 11 or 12 euros at the time, right? So this is about 10 plus years ago. So they basically looked at it and said, okay, you can buy a Honduran cigar for nine euros, or you can buy a Cuban cigar that has Monte Cristo on it that's still light to medium for 12. And they managed to recoup some of it. So that, um, where is it kind of going with this? Basically, the way they attacked the market was different. Here, you're most, or over there, you're mostly fighting with the Cubans and then obviously established European brands like Davidoff, right? Versus here, where you're competing against all the legacy brands, right? All the non-Cuban Cuban brands, the Roman Julietas, Monte Cristos, et cetera, et cetera. And then on top of that, you have the big boutique brands, boutique relatively, right? Like non-legacy brands that are that originally started as boutiques. And then you have another 500 or so, probably more, of small brands. So trying to get a foothold here is much, much more difficult than it is overseas because, again... Right overseas, someone's gonna be the exclusive distributor for whatever, and they're gonna be okay. I'm the exclusive distributor for this. I already have a built-out network. I'm gonna market it. I'm gonna do events. Blah 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 blah. And the European market or overseas market isn't really used to doing events like here, right? Where you go and you know end up selling 50 boxes. Like that just doesn't really happen over there, both from a price perspective and then obviously like I guess you're kind of hamstrung as to what kind of deals you can run. Um, but here it's, you know, find the right partners and have them get behind you. Obviously they'll make a little extra margin on that and just support them. I mean, that's basically, I've done 117 events last year. <laughs> so I've been, that's I, I actually did the numbers every third day I was in an airplane. Uh, my godfather's a pilot. So he was like, you're getting those flight hours in there. Like you can apply easily. <laughs> Uh, did wonders for my for my uh, airline loyalty programs and everything else, but uh, it's rough and it's just you got to get on the road and let me meet let me people, meet, people, meet people. Let me ask you this, Vlada, because because you just sat here and you said there's there's so much more competition here in the United States than there is in Europe, and you were on, you had 117 events last year. Why, if you knew this going in, because you did, you you're a very smart guy. You've been around the industry for a long time. Uh, you, you've done very well as a distributor. Uh, why, what possessed you <laughs> to go? I want my own, I want my own cigar. I want to do this. I, I'll, I'll support it. I'll, I'll go do events. I'll do whatever it takes. Like, it's, I don't know. I just, <laughs> it, it's funny. So, uh, and I'm, I guess this can be, I don't know. I like making people happy. I, I guess that's what it comes down to. And the amount of joy and I guess maybe a touch of pride um, when someone actually smoked one of my cigars and was like, man, I really enjoyed that, right? Like, I really, really loved it. 
really made me right like from a selfish standpoint made me feel really really good that i managed to make someone else happy by because i made something i parrot um, that 100 percent. that's and exactly this cigar why. truly is made by me i did not fly down to you know talk to a blender and say hey i want to do this i literally put this together and if you've ever seen i'm sure you've done something with sebastian and brian and like um even Costa, who's a good friend of mine, owns smoke. He was down there and they were blending on the kitchen table, right? Like they brought out all the tobaccos. I made the little burritos, smoked them and like made notes of everything. And I'm like, hey, I think this could work together. So I made a terrible, mind you, terrible cigar. It looked like, you know, a badly wrapped Dolma, like truly horrible. You know, open draw like a wind tunnel. I lit it up, smoked it. I'm like, hey, I think I got something here. Gave it to Brian. He took a few puffs. He's like, this is actually really good. Like, let's let you know, let's see if there's something in it. So we took it to the rolling floor. Actual professionals like rolled it, gave us five samples, smoked it, and voila, that's it. Like, I didn't try someone to channel my vision. No, it was like I literally put this together. So I was extremely proud. As opposed to the, not that I'm not proud of the Premier Crew, I am because I talked to Hendrick Kellner Jr. and literally told him, "Hey, Hendrick, I want to make something out of this world. I want." I want something old, something incredibly rare. Like literally it doesn't matter. I want the best thing you can roll together, like from whatever ingredients. Um, and funnily enough, it was for my birthday. Originally it was called the birthday blend, which was in 2020. So it's been in like the works for two plus years. Um, his dad brought him over some old bales from 1997. Um, stuff that some project that he ended up doing didn't pan out and from a commercial standpoint super high quality, small yields, small, small leaves, just pain in the ass to work with. Um, and I smoked the period. I'm like, this is incredible. Like, great. So Hendrick made the two largest sizes that they could be, which is a six by 49 pyramid. That's the largest size we could make with that, with that particular wrapper. Um, he put in a binder from his sister, Monica from, uh, Monte Plata. We can't really call it Yamasa, but like Monte Plata from 2007. And then did <clears throat> the only difference between the original one is the original one had uh, a Lapaviso. He switched it out when when I was there the last time, like before he rolled them and put uh, BVS, which is an African hybrid. So he put that in there and it was basically everything that Jalapa does without as much strength. So it wow. had even less strength than Jalapa, the, the Viso. Had, and it was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, it was enough for 32. It was about less than two bales, really. Um, 30, I believe the total production that was released was about, was 3000 cigars, but I think the total rolled was like 3000 and change, right? There were some rejects, some of the stuff that we smoked, some stuff just didn't look the part. And yeah, I mean, that was it. That cigar has over 50 years of aged tobacco. Wow. Uh, and it's truly like, I, I absolutely love it. But um, this one, the, the Psalm Selection, this is the selection. This is the one that you blended yourself. This is the one mm -hmm. that you did. The BDX. Yeah. So yeah. the confusing part is why does it have? both of the same bands. Yes. Again, I kind of went into this and, you know, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, it makes no sense to make 5,000 bands. Let me make 30,000 just to start. Um, and then I was like, okay, how am I going to differentiate it? Well, one comes from a different factory. It's a different size. It's a different box color, everything. So I'm like, okay, whatever. We're going to use them for a one-off and just call it a day. So I did it and like sent one to Hendrix, sent one, uh, sent most of them to Honduras, to, to FCT. And then, like I sent another one in case one of those didn't make it, right? Because I'm always those, let's have a backup, then a backup to a backup. 
which you saw, right? When you were at the, at the show, yes. we had four displays and I specifically wanted four displays rather than two, because if one of them breaks, then it doesn't look nice. Sure enough, out of the four, one in the breaking. And then, um, the guys who worked the floor managed to break the third, the second one, which is one of the three. So we basically had two working ones, but I'm one of those, like, what if, like, let me prep for every single, yeah. What if a meteor hits like, well, in that case, like the basement that I have in Las Vegas is really going to be useful. Yeah. I don't have a basement, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, kind of like prep for the worst case scenario and hope it doesn't happen. Um, which, which you could go to simply right now and you can check out my review of this, uh, spoiler right now. It's not done because uh, time travels hard and we're recording this literally a month before uh, this episode hits. But by the time next comes out, uh, the review on this will be done. It's a, and it is a great cigar. I've already smoked uh, one of the samples uh, that I, I got that you were gracious enough to give me at the show. I really appreciate that so I could do the review because I have a box of the of the Premier Crew and I have another box, um, which I think is a different size than this one. But this is your this is your favorite size, right? So yeah, funnily enough, um, it's the same blend for the BDX, right? So it's the same blend out of SCT, um, same blend composition rather. Um, this one has more Honduran broadleaf just because of the size. Um, and even though it is a six by 60, uh, because of its soft box press, it, it smokes closer to like a 54. Um, I, it, when I first smoked it, it kind of felt awkward and I like really fell in love with it. the profile is worth it. Um, I, I think it's very interesting and I'm really excited. Um, I did a different interview live of sorts and they were like, you th- like, what do you think about the best expression of Manure and Broadly? who started laughing like, are you guys serious? Like this was my first attempt. Like, I don't know if this is going to be the case. I want to see 10, 15, 20 other blenders who are much better than I have. Cause this is my first cigar I ever blended like from the ground up. Like I want to see their take, which is why I said, I'm super excited to try the, you know, Camacho Honduran Broadleaf. Why? Because I want to see what they did. And once you smoke this and you get the profile, it's it's so unique that you'll easily pick it up. The only other cigar that I know on the market that uses it is uh, uh, Double Broadleaf from uh, Alec Bradley. Which is a great is, cigar. I like that cigar a lot. very interesting. I, I really like it in the Corona size. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a really, really good showcasing. I think that Connecticut Broadleaf still you know, has quite a bit of presence on there. But if you smoke this and you and then you try the Alec Bradley, like you'll see that undertone of Funduran Broadleaf that's un, unmistakable. So I'm kind of interested. I'm I'm hoping to see what other people would do with this. And, uh, you know, 10 years from now or five years from now, maybe we figure out what is, when you say Funduran Broadleaf, what does it actually entail? Right. Yeah. Just like you know, you say Connecticut broadly, you know exactly what it means. If you say San Andreas Maduro, like you exactly you kind of have a good idea of what the cigar is going to give you. Uh, and I've heard rumblings around uh, the industry that uh, mm-hmm. Connecticut broadleaf is going to be hard to come by. So there's got to be something that people are going to fall back to. And maybe this is it. Uh, let, let me ask you this. Uh, what, what's next for Psalm? What's next for the brand? So I don't know yet. I have a I have a project that I kind of put on hold for a little while, but, um, I've worked with something out of DR, um, very, very interesting. So, uh, with the tobaccos aged in, in barrels, right. Whether it's scotch rum or whatever. Um, I have to admit that my initial take is that it's 
probably more gimmicky than it actually gives you flavor profile. I'd like to hear Nick's opinion on this. I agree. I agree. So I've, uh, again, depends on how much you use it. For example, I did the same blend. One was with Havana, well, both are with Havana 92, but for the binder, one was aged in rum barrels, one isn't. And the rum barrel one, same exact cigar, right? Same exact, everything's exactly absolutely the same down to the size. The only difference was the binder. And I'm not going to say it was because the rum aging added so much. It didn't. I just feel it felt a lot more, um, it feel, felt a lot more balanced. So I don't know if there's something to it um, with, you know, five fillers in there. I don't know how much it's really going to come out to, to the front and like really enhance it, but it did smoke better. Um, so I'm just like waiting on final samples and to compare them with my initial blends. And if that works out, then we can do it um, differently. I think um, because again, with the five fillers, I think it's going to be a six by 54, either a Toro or a pyramid, probably a Toro. Just again, going back to the American market, I would prefer a pyramid, honestly. Like I actually smoke it. I actually believe it smokes really much better in a pyramid. Um, but again, with the American market in mind, like I think the six by 54 Toro is going to be the, the jam. I wish I could, I wish there were more one Oh nines, for example, on the market, which is one of my favorite formats. It's just, they're few and far in between and they're difficult to roll and all other kinds of problems that come with it. But I really yeah. enjoy all of them. Yeah, the American the American market is is a weird beast because a lot of the classic kind of uh, sizes and shapes that you would see uh, in Europe and out of Cuba, like Americans are just like, give me the Robusto or the Toro. Like, I, why do I need why do I need a pyramid? Why do I need a Salomon? Why do I need? So yeah, no, I I, I get it. I get it. Are, is the Psalm still available? Can like retailers still order it? I'm trying to light up a six by 60 with a match outside. So <laughs> talk about Sisyphus. Um, there's a small amount left. I think I have probably less than a thousand between, between the three sizes left. Um, primarily because it, it was a limited release. I mean, yeah. I, I do want to highlight that. It only went to about 15 stores, give or take. Um, and again, every box, if you flip your box, it says when it was rolled, when it was made. Um, I kind of did. You know, I wanted to rest it for six months before release. Um, and it's just a, it was a fun little project where I thought I would be adding something to the conversation. Um, I think, uh, I think you, I think you succeeded in adding to the conversation. It's, it's familiar, but a little different than I, and I yeah. hope people like it. That's, that's kind of, yeah. and people laugh. They're like, well, what if it, you know, what if people don't like it? I'm like, cool. I have 5,000 cigars that I won't have to buy. And like, I can give them away. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've only got a thousand left, less, less than a thousand, I think you've done uh, pretty well for yourself with this guys. If you can get your hands on it, go try the Psalm. Uh, it's really good. Check the score. Simply stogies.com. Uh, I know half wheel did uh, a review on it and gave you pretty high marks. Which I was very uh, pleasantly surprised about that because uh, Half Wheel is notorious. Not as much as me. <laughs> they are notoriously hard on newer brands. And when you did that, I was like, when they did that, I was like, oh, sweet. Like they gave you a good score. I was, I was pretty happy about that. Who reviewed it? it, I, it was, uh, was it Brooks or was it Charlie? I believe Patrick reviewed one there, of them, and I yeah. think Brooks reviewed the other one. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised and, and I really appreciate it. Ultimately, it, it's just 
cool. I really appreciate people taking the time to just, you know, however harshly or, or however they choose to judge it. Um, I think it's, I think it hits the right marks from what it delivers for what it costs and, you know, how it looks and how much care was put into it. I, I think it does. I think it does it justice. No, I, I do too. I do too. Yeah, of Absolutely. course I would have loved a hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course you would, of course you would. So where do you, where, where, let me ask you this, Vlad, where, where do you see yourself in five years? Because obviously in the last couple of years, a lot of things have changed for you. You're doing, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing uh, a lot with Lampert, Dr. Stefan Lampert uh, with Lampert cigars, which are, are great cigars. Absolutely fire cigars. Like he has done some amazing uh, things. Um, and, and I really do like his stuff. So you're working with him and then you're doing the song. Like, where do you see yourself in five years? On a beach drinking a cocktail. <laughs> Don't we all? I mean, that, right. Yeah, no, that's where we uh, all want to be. But no, I mean, I would, the Psalm was always supposed to be a, a celebration of partnerships. So to, so to speak for all the stuff that I do, um, unfortunately it didn't work out that way, uh, which kind of sucks. Cause I really wanted to, I wanted to kind of use it as a testing ground for, for, uh, for brands, um, that I distributed, right. Where it would basically be like, Hey, I think this fits <laughs> or I'm unsure about this particular one. So if it's a flop, who cares? It's Vlad's interpretation of whatever he was doing. Right. Um, then it kind of got shoehorned and became its own thing. So um, I plan to continually add to the conversation by using either different stuff, old stuff, things that, that are rare, rather than just it's going to be another one of those, right? Like it's another whatever blend that's been done a hundred times, um, which I think with this was was a pretty pretty good step in the right direction, I think, with the, with the Hunter and Broadleaf. Uh, my next step would be that project out of dr i again i went high and low with the premier crew in this um i'd like to do something with one of the bigger factories uh you know i would love to do something out of nicaragua because they have it's it's a it's an unknown territory for me um and i think i would like to do something out of lt tunnel the bronze which is one of my favorite factories i mean i've i've lucked out and i found <laughs> i found a box of goldies eight of them left in chicago years ago wow uh found eight of them in the shop uh and i actually got a discount for buying all of them uh and i asked if he has more he did not um so i bought all of them got a killer deal i believe they were still at msrp plus 30 percent taxes so it ended up being i don't know like 15 16 bucks maybe not bad um so i ended up buying all of them got a little discount on top and i just shared all of them that is truly one of my favorite um favorite cigars that come out of that. Uh, I like, yeah, I mean, that those would be, those are probably the, the, the next steps. I think El Titan is going to be the next one that I'm going to reach out and just kind of do something fun just when it's not August in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So where can the people find you next? Like, cause you're always out and about, you're always doing events. You're always doing something. Where can the people find you next? Cause I, okay. look, if you have not been to an event where Vlad is at, you got to go. The guy dresses impeccably. He knows his stuff. He's very knowledgeable and it's always a lot of fun. I love hanging out with him. Like, where are you going to be next? Okay. So now remember this no comes out middle of September. 
So September, middle of September, I'll be in Detroit uh, doing an event with Secreto, with Ronnie. Um, then I'll be going to uh, La Casa Ann Arbor, still in Detroit. Then I'm doing Smoke on the River, right? So that's 14, 15, 16th or some, somewhere along there. Um, after that, I'm going to Chicago. So I'll be at the Clayton, probably Norwood, uh, and uh, Humidor of Lyle. We'll, we're going to do two 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 days of Humidor of Lyle. Uh, we're going to do a kind of intimate tasting setting where I'm going to play around a little bit, similar to what I did last time, which I did lug of, uh, did a scotch and and a, and a smoked tea for people who don't drink. Oh, wow. um, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do for this tasting. I might, if it's logistic, it's a logistical nightmare if I do ice cream, but I think I'll do ice cream and cigars. Um, that's a pretty, that's an incredible uh, uh I remember you experience. telling me that one time. You were like, no, you got to pair cigars with ice cream. I'm like, it, it really, really is good. It's just right. That cooling effect, especially in, and people say vanilla. Vanilla is one of, right? Like things are vanilla. Vanilla is one of the most complex ar- aromatic things in the world, like aromatically complex. Uh, even more complex than coffee. So um, I think that that might be the next one. I just, from a logistical standpoint, because A, you're going to need three different spoons where I didn't even touch up on the textures, thank God. But the textural perception is going to change your perception of how things impact everything. So that's a that's a whole nother story. Uh, and then after that, I'm going to Texas in the first week. Oh, no, I'm going to Arizona uh, end of September. Then I'm going to Texas. Then I'm going to, I don't even know. I think it's like Philadelphia. I have my travel schedule booked until the second week of November. Wow. Yeah, so, so you're going you're gonna to be down south. You're going to be up north. You're everywhere. You're just all yeah, over the place. Everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really need to get on board and doing like social media better because as anybody who actually has me as like follows me, the last post is from... I know. Seven months and seven <laughs> days ago. I, um, I actually joke because it was Orthodox Christmas. I, I was rolling sadamas, which is basically kind of like a dolma, except done in, in fermented cabbage leaves. And right because of the cigar background, I was like, this is a Serbian level nine roller, you know, doing things and putting the meat together and all that. But I really do need to get better at that. So um, January, January 6th. Yeah, January 6th. So the 7th was the actual Christmas and January 6th. I I prepped all of that and, you know, did it for my girlfriend and her family. Um, You know, I cooked, spent a a good at home whole day, basically um, doing kind of like traditional Serbian dishes and just, you know, had everybody had a nice, nice little experience. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I got to say, Clayton is is just uh, on a different level than a lot of the other lounges out there in the humidor. Lyle. Like I had just recently been there and I was like, holy cow, this place is super nice too. Like, yeah. Lyle's getting the, that Lamper Lounge. As uh, soon as you walk in on the right, we've, I don't know if you, if you were there when they actually had the artwork up, there's no, not yet, a bunch no. of stuff in the works. Like I'm keeping that under wraps until they're ready to do a grand unveiling with Stefan. When is that? Um, When's the grand unveiling with that? I am going to, I don't know, no, no, October, November, something like that. Once everything's like in place. Um, I will, I will all be the there stuff for that. you saw at the show, right? The ashtrays, the mugs, all yeah. that is we're waiting for that to arrive. The hats um should be here relatively soon to cover my bald head, especially in Vegas. In Vegas. So I was gonna say, how hot is it there right now? It's actually not bad. It's 103. Oh, that's not bad at all. <laughs> dry heat, dry heat. Dry <laughs> heat, dry heat. Everybody says that. Oh, <laughs> Vegas, dry heat. It's not I love it. I love it. 115 a- dry heat. 
we have an internal joke with me and some of the guys who are uh, trying to rack up the most insert dry. Yeah, but it's a dry heat in a conversation during the show. Um, and I think the I think the actual uh, record is 17 times in a day. Uh, I did one, which is incredible. And three of us standing there and all three of us are in the joke and someone approached and they're like, man, it's so hot, so hot here. Like, I don't know how you guys can survive. Like you live here. And I just stifling my laughter. I just go, yeah, man, but it's a dry heat. And the three of them are like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, it's really not. I mean, I will take this over, over anything. I had this little, you know, how you want to make your dreams relatively achievable. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously I would like to go to the moon, but Kubrick died. So I can't even fake that anymore. (laughs) So, um, you know, my, my whole take was like, I want to live somewhere where I can wear linen six to nine months out of the year. And, you know, I mean, it's just, I, I really, I really enjoy the, the weather here. Yeah. It's, it tends (laughs) to be hot. Like, yeah, we had that week of like 113, but I mean, I still smoke cigars. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because we, uh, every year when we go to Vegas, I always make a a point the last couple of years to go to in Fuego in Henderson Mm -hmm. Uh, and Andy, the GM there, he's from Mm -hmm. Chicago. So he and I talk about the you know, the difference in weather. I'll never forget the first year. He was like, yeah, I tell my friends I don't shovel sunshine. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's true. And, and uh, uh, you know, one of our uh, reviewers was there with us this year. And he goes, you may not shovel sunshine, but the air still hurts your face here. You move from a place where the air hurts your face like four months uh, out, out of the year. And you move to a place where it hurts your face like eight months out of the year. So like it's you traded one, one pain for another. So that's exactly why I said... So uh, the year after I, I came back from Mexico ended up being the coldest winter in like 30 years in Europe. Oh. It was a complete like, you know, people lost lives because it was it was um, there's a there's a wind that that blows uh, typically like it'll impact Europe, but uh, from Siberia typically. So it comes in and it blows either a day, three days, a week or 20, 20 plus days. So that particular year, you ended up basically blowing for 20 days straight. And it's a cold Arctic wind, right? Like it's chilly. So I spent literally 20 plus days shoveling my snow every damn day up until the 20, 20 something day. I literally said, screw this. I'm never, ever living in a place where it snows. I love snow. I love skiing. I love all of these things, but I love snow five days out of the year. Yeah. Like Vegas still gets snow. You, you look you know, to the left of the strip, you can see snow. Like there's probably still snow, maybe not now, but there was snow, um, you know, up to like May. I ever want to see it. I can go up to Lake Tahoe. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. I would rather not live uh, where there's snow. I hate it. I hate snow. Uh, Vladislav mm. Sam bespoke distrib- uh, distributing. Uh, check it out. If you haven't tried the Sam, try to find it. Uh, ask your local tobacconist for it, your local retailer. If they don't have it, um, email Vlada and be like, Hey, where can I get this? He'll, oh, yeah. let, he'll let you know. Reach uh, out on Instagram. I don't post, but like I typically get back. I mostly use it for memes. So like you might get a meme too. <laughs> there you go. You're going to get some information and a meme. <laughs> uh, and while you're at your local tobacconist, check out Lampert Cigars. If it's not there, ask for it. Uh, that's being d- distributed by Sutliff, but you're still involved with. Uh, yeah. So Lampert. they do the actual facilitation, right? Like, they're the people who put smaller boxes into bigger boxes and making sure it actually gets there. <laughs> I just talk to people to get to buy the small boxes. Right. 
Yeah, you sell the small boxes, they ship the yeah. big boxes. Full of small boxes. Uh, exactly. Because uh, Lampert's some of the best stuff out there, and Vlada is uh, adding to the conversation with this. I'm telling you guys, do not sleep on this. Uh, when Half Wheel gives it a high score, like you know that it's it's super legit. So when you see my score and it's higher than Half Wheels, like it is what it is. <laughs> Vlad Stoyanov, I appreciate your time. I know there was a little kerfuffle uh, at the beginning. I appreciate you uh, jumping hey, super on with fun. us. Uh, sorry for if you guys have to wait a little bit. I, luckily enough, I was at Enfuego, funnily enough, sitting with Char and the rest of the guys, and they were like, "Hey, like this is happening. I got a, I got a jet." When you when you see Char tell him, I said, "Hey, I still have not met him." Every time I go, it's just Andy. He's all Char's off gallivanting around doing something else. I have yet to meet him, so tell him I said next hey. time. Next time you're in Vegas, he'll be here when you come for PCA, and which is in March next year. He'll yeah. be here 100. percent Perfect. I can't wait to meet the guy. Cool. Uh, and join us next week, guys, when we have Clear the Air. It's our Simply Stogies after show where we talk about Vlada behind his back yes. and then put it out for everybody to see, including Vlada if he so wants to watch it. It'll be that's the one. I'm going to share that one. Like, forget about this. I'm going to be like. I'm going to do a sauce. syllabus and just be like, what do they really think? What do they really think of me? I'm um, going to do a New York Post kind of like. Oh, I love it. I love it. Like, it. This is what they really thought. <laughs> One of the most From, knowledgeable you know, guys. Mr. Worldwide off wish.com. <laughs> One of the most knowledgeable guys in the industry. He's a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, As if, but thank you for saying that. Go, I'm telling you, go, go to one of his events. Uh, find out where he's going to be. Like he said, he's going to be in Michigan uh, in September, and then in Arizona and Texas uh, after that. Like, go, I'll post it. Out. How about this? I'll post it on my Instagram. Believe it or not. There you go. We're going to get him to post on Instagram, guys. Like, I don't think we could. This is maybe the best episode ever. Vlad is back on, awesome. on the IG. <laughs> <laughs> Vlad is throwing off. Thank you very much, Nick. Thanks again, guys. Nick, thank, thank you. Fantastic. Pleasure. Thank it was you a pleasure input. talking uh, with you. It's always a always a pleasure to hear someone else's perspective, especially when it's so knowledgeable and you know actually on point. Yeah, thank no, you. I, I I had to bring him in because he knows so much more than I do. I know jack and shit, so I had to bring somebody in who knows what they're talking about just to elevate the show to the level where people actually watch oh. and listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Nick's like, all right, whatever. All right, we'll see you next uh, week, Nick. We'll see you guys next week. Vlada, thank you very much. Guys, until next time, stay smoky, friends. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, brother. Thank you.